Well, good morning, Rancho Baptist family. It's always my great joy and privilege to share God's word with you this morning. My name is Lou Dawson, and uh, it's a joy to be up here with you this morning. The National Alliance for Mental Health recently put out a report indicating that about about 19% of adults in the United States suffer from some sort of anxiety issues, and even more with the, the previous this COVID thing that's been going on here lately. Now, you do a little math there, and that would mean that about one out of every five people that you and I rub shoulders with as we go through our weeks each week are dealing with anxiety in, in one way or the other. That's a lot of anxious people, a whole lot of them. And as frequently is the case, trends in secular society invariably end up invading and bleeding over into the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, my own experience after many years of pastoral counseling here at RBC um, lends support regarding the magnitude of this particular problem. Next to marital issues, next to marital issues, Biblical counseling for various sorts of anxiety-related problems was probably the most frequent type of counseling that I did when I was here as a pastor. Anxiety, worry, panic attacks, and all the like of these things are significant issues both in the world and in the church of Jesus Christ. It's no surprise then that the Bible has a lot to say about how God would have us successfully deal with worry and anxiety. Since our Lord made us, it certainly makes sense that he would know how to combat this menace in his people. But before we dive into this passage this morning, uh, it's important that we look at the background behind this portion of Scripture. About 30 years or so after the ministry of our Lord Jesus, in about 62 AD, some within the Philippian church were struggling with worry. And we know this because the Apostle Paul, who founded this church, specifically brings up this issue in his letter to the Philippians. Now we have to do some detective work here to figure out some of the situations which were behind uh, this particular worries that they, were, that they were dealing with. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 28 through 30, we learn that the, the Philippian Christians were experiencing significant persecution and affliction at the hands of unbelievers who were outside the church. In chapter 2, verse 2, we deduce that there was evidently there was disunity among folks within the church. And in chapter 2, verse 14, this helps us understand that there was grumbling and disputing happening in the congregation, likely as an overflow of this disunity. From Philippians 3, 18 and 19, we deduce that not surprisingly, there were false teachers within the church that were kind of fanning the flames of this disunity that was happening there. And on top of that, in chapter 4, verse 2, we learn that there were two very prominent ladies within the Philippian church who had a very public, ongoing feud with one another. And as a result of that, people were kind of choosing sides and going at each other. 
Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul makes reference to the deep financial poverty that characterized most of the folks which were in the Philippian church. You take all these ingredients together, you throw them in a pot, and you end up with a nasty stew of circumstances that tempted these Philippian believers to worry. And this worry was having a very harmful effect. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here to these dearly loved believers. Philippians 4, 1, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, he says, in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. You see, the, the Philippians, they were, they were kind of, they were wobbling in their faith, which is the opposite of what it means to stand firm. They were in danger of getting knocked off their feet spiritually and going down so hard that they couldn't get up. This is why the first part of chapter 4, Paul gives the Philippians instructions on how to regain their spiritual stability. Notice the phrase that, that Paul uses here in Philippians 4.1. He says, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. Now this phrase, in this way, looks forward to what he says next. Thus, in verses 2 through 9, Paul outlines the means by which the Philippian believers can stand firm. And one of the disciplines that the apostle commands the Philippian believers to practice in order to remain spiritually stable is in the verses that we will look at and study this morning, verses 6 and 7. Pulling all this together, the difficult circumstances the Philippian believers were enduring it was tempting them to worry. And as worry always does, it produces spiritual instability. And with this in view, the title of this morning's sermon is Spiritual Stability Through Rejecting Worry. And the Bible passage we'll study this morning is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Go ahead and turn there in this passage, if you haven't already, and read along as I read these, read these verses out loud. The Apostle Paul said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for our study in God's word. Lord, we need you to cause us not only to understand thoroughly what you said in your word to us regarding worry, but we need you to help us apply these things. So Lord, we, we ask for both those things this morning. We trust that you will do that so that your name will be glorified and lifted up. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, first, let's look at, let's talk about a broad overview of this passage as a means for promoting spiritual stability, the Apostle Paul commands a put-off, a corresponding series of put-on commands, and last but not least, a promise. Put-offs, put-ons, and a promise. That's what this passage lays out. 
Now, the put off is in the first part of verse 6, where Paul commands that his Philippian readers put off every shred of worry. Now, you'll note that the actual biblical text uses the word anxious, but the vast majority of times that this word is used in Scripture, it's actually translated worry. Now, the idea behind this word is the idea of being anxious or worried because of fear about possible danger or misfortune. And indeed, the root of worry springs from looking fearfully at possible future events, and in doing so, doubting God's sovereign control and his loving care. Fear and doubt are always at the root of all worry. And the scriptures make it clear that nothing good comes from worry. In Matthew chapter 6, 24 and 25, Jesus makes an interesting connection regarding worry. He says, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other, he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and wealth. For this reason, in other words, what he's just said there, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink. You see, engaging in worry, it, it splits our loyalties and causes us to essentially become double-minded idolaters. You see, when we engage in fear and doubt about future events, we end up, we end up fixated on them leaving God outside of that picture. According to Jesus, you can't serve worry and serve God at the same time. It's really one or the other. Later on in that same chapter, in Matthew 6, 27 and 30, Jesus adds another dimension to the futility of worry. He comments, And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil and they do not spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You see, as Jesus stated in this passage, Worry doesn't accomplish anything worthwhile. And worry is also an expression of how little faith we have that God will take care of our needs. Jesus' interaction with uh, his good friends Mary and Martha always also provided another rather startling perspective on worry. In Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, the biblical author Luke tells the story of Jesus visiting these two sisters. He says, Now as Jesus was traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary, who was seated at Jesus' feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, 
you are worried, there it is, worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. You see, in this story, Martha was all emotionally bound up and tied up about preparing and serving an excellent meal for Jesus. As a result, she got angry at her sister Mary for not helping. And in her anger, she even accused Jesus of not caring. <laughs> wow. Now notice that Jesus pinpointed the problem in, in Martha's heart. The problem was worry. It was worry. And in her anxiety, unlike her sister Mary, Martha was distracted from fellowship with Jesus. And make no mistake, worry distracts us from communion with our Savior who treasures fellowship with us, his children. But not only is worry unproductive on so many levels, it is just frankly, it's sin, plain and simple. Now, the difference between legitimate concern and sinful worry, and that's important to consider because there is such a thing, it involves our response to the situations prompting it. When we encounter these adverse circumstances, if we immediately respond by bringing our situation before the Lord and trusting Him to take care of us in the midst of it, then this is legitimate concern. Now, on the other hand, if we encounter exactly the same situations but respond in fear and, and fretful unease, leaving God outside of the equation, this is sinful worry. This is idolatrous anxiety, and we must put that off. And the Apostle Paul is very emphatic about this. In, in the Greek language, which this was originally written in, if you want to emphasize something in Greek, what you do is you, you push that word to the very front of that sentence. And you can do that in Greek. So you want to know what the first word in verse 6 is? Take a guess. It's nothing. Essentially, he is commanding his beloved Philippian brothers and sisters, there is absolutely nothing you can allow yourself to be worried about. Zero, not a zilch. You must continuously put off every single shred of worry. So having vigorously commanded his Philippian readers to put off all worry, Paul then commanded them what to put on in place of that worry. And he directs the Philippian believers to put on actually three things. Now the first of these put-ons in verse 6 is prayer. Now, the word that Paul uses here is the most general word for prayer used in the Bible, and it has the idea behind it of just, just simply talking to God. It's the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, where Paul commanded the Thessalonians to pray or talk to God without ceasing. In other words, do it all day long. And conversing with God about our situation is always the first place we must go when we encounter circumstances that tempt us to worry the reflexive response that we really need to to kind of cultivate 
is to honestly lay before God our concerns and, and even the temptation to worry itself, the worry that, that we're being experienced with. Now, the second of these put-ons in verse 6 is supplication. And this is not a word we normally use in everyday conversation. At least I don't. It, it means to ask for something. But the, the asking has, has a sense of urgency about it because there's a great need. There's a lot of turmoil going on in the, amongst the Philippian believers, and Paul instructed them to present their requests to God with passion befitting their difficult situation. One logical question that flows from this particular instruction is, well, what should we urgently ask God for? And though the passage doesn't explicitly say, I, I would like to venture a couple of suggestions based on other related texts of Scripture. My first suggestion flows out of what Hebrews exhorted the author of Hebrews exhorted his readers to in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. The author of Hebrews said to his readers, Therefore, since you have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, Jesus understands what it is like to be, to be tempted because he was a man just like us. And though he never sinned when he was tempted, as a human being, he nonetheless sympathizes with our weaknesses towards sin. Because of this, when we, when we are tempted, we should, we should draw near to him in prayer as the one who sits on the throne of grace. Notice especially what happens when we draw near to him. We receive grace to help in time of need. And the grace that Jesus gives us and his people in this time of need, it comes in the form of, it comes in the form of strength to be obedient to God and his word rather than yielding to sin. You know, applying this truth in my own life, when I am tempted to worry, which FYI is a sin I am frequently and easily tempted with. The first thing I do is to draw near to Jesus and cry out in prayer for strengthening grace. The conversation sounds something like this. Lord Jesus, I am being tempted to sinfully worry with this worry with this difficult situation that I'm caught in, thank you that you sympathize with this worry weakness of mine and you invite me to draw near to you. I'm drawing near to you now, Lord, as promised. Strengthen me with grace to obey what you commanded me to in Philippians chapter 4, to, to worry about not one single thing. Jesus, I'm going to cling to you until I receive 
the strengthening grace that you promised. The other prayer suggestion that I would offer flows out of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. This verse is a conclusion of an extended passage in which Jesus dealt extensively with the topic of appropriately responding to the temptation to worry. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus said to his disciples in this verse, very, very short and sweet, he said, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough troubles of its own. This passage points to a very inter- interesting characteristic of worry. The overwhelming majority of the time, worry is focused on something that will happen tomorrow. And when we worry about something that's going to happen tomorrow, we're, we're essentially importing the problem into today, but we don't import the grace to deal with it. The grace to deal with tomorrow will happen tomorrow. And that's why Jesus tells his disciples that they, they must not worry about troubles which will come down the pipe the following day. They must restrict their concerns to what is going on today. And in my own life, when tempted to sinfully worry, I run to the Lord in prayer saying something like this. I say, Lord, I recognize that I'm being tempted to worry about some things that may or may not happen tomorrow. Strengthen me with your grace such that I might turn quickly from any worrisome tomorrow concerns only allowing my mind to think about situations which will occur sometime between now and midnight that's today (laughs) no tomorrow stuff well the third and last put on that paul commands in verse six is to put on thanksgiving now at first glance this glance this admonition seems seems a bit puzzling, but actually from my experience, I can tell you it's really, it's really the very heart of dealing successfully with the temptation of sinful worry. Let me explain. You may remember that earlier we talked about fear and doubt being at the heart of sinful worry. Well, fear and doubt always get us focused on the worrisome circumstances that are staring us square in the face. Now, when we come to God in prayer with our supplications, adding liberal helpings of thanksgiving into the mix, this gets our thoughts off of the troubling circumstances and gets our thoughts focused on the love, on the strengthening grace, on the sovereign power, and gets our thoughts focused on His amazing grace. I'm always amazed how the giant lions of worrisome troubles sink down to kitty cat size uh, when concerns that I have are infused with conversations with the Lord and thankfulness about Him. With this in mind, I'd like to suggest a couple of thanksgiving topics from the Scripture to use when the lion of worry roars in your own life. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, 6, and 7. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. 
And notice what Peter comments to his readers after reminding them that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And in particular in this verses, notice why Peter says that we should throw all of our worry onto the Lord's broad shoulders. We should do this because he deeply cares about us. Now, when Peter stated that God cares for us, the idea is that God is genuinely concerned for our welfare. And not only is he concerned for our good, but as the sovereign controller of the universe, he's able to bring about good even when circumstances look terrifying and say something completely different. Because of this, you and I can can thank the Lord that he deeply cares for us and will bring about good in our lives by his mighty power. As a second suggested Thanksgiving topic, when the lion of worry roars, I would commend to you Psalm 23, verses 4 and 6. Turn there with me. This beautiful, beloved Psalm of David David marvels at how God lovingly shepherds him through life. Psalm 23, 4, and 6. In this context, notice what David comments in verse 4. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, the valley of the shadow of death depicts situations in which David felt like there was no escape. This valley was a place of of doom where death seemed imminent. But consider what David says here. He doesn't fear that doom will overtake him even in the most terrifying circumstances. Why? Because his Lord walked right there with him through the troubles. And Jesus' followers can thank him, being fully assured that he will walk through the dark times with us. He said to us, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Also notice what David says in Psalm 23, verse 6. He said, Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, David was utterly convinced that the Lord would bring good his way. He was equally convinced that God would lavish his steadfast, loyal, covenant love on him. That's what that word loving kindness means. Now, what's interesting about this verse is that David exclaims that these things would, would follow him all the days of his life. And this is actually quite a, a poor Hebrew translation here. The word used for follow has the idea behind it of, of chasing after something, like a a cheetah sprinting after some sort of critter that he was going to have for dinner. And David was confident that God's goodness and his loving kindness would literally sprint after him and hunt him down throughout his whole life. And also David was assured that after his earthly life, he would enjoy fellowship with the Lord throughout eternity. And as God's dearly loved children, we can certainly have these same confidences and thank our Lord daily, 
even when we're tempted to worry and walking through dark times. So with the goal of spiritual stability in view, we've looked at Paul's commands to put off every shred of worry and in its place put on prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. Now let's move on to verse 7 and we'll look at the promise, which is the unexplainable peace of God. Now, when Paul speaks of the peace of God, he's referring to the peace that God himself experiences. You see, God's never frazzled. He's never worried. And he's never fearful about what's going to happen tomorrow. He is a joyful, internally tranquil being. And the peaceful state which God lives in is is what our Lord promises will be ours if we will put off worry and put on prayer and supplication to him accompanied by thanksgiving. Notice that this peace surpasses all comprehension. In other words, it's supernatural. It, it, it doesn't make sense in light of the difficulty of the situations that we're stuck in the middle of. But also notice that Paul says how this supernatural peace operates. He says, it will guard your hearts and your minds. Now, to a person in Paul's day, the word guard would conjure up a very striking image. This word is actually, it's a Greek military term used of a detachment of heavily armed soldiers vigilantly watching and protecting the army from attack. And this is what God's supernatural peace does. It's, it's our bodyguard. Notice what God's peace diligently, it protects our hearts and our minds, those two things. Now these two terms refer to our emotions and our thoughts. You see, when we respond to the temptation to worry, when we do it God's way, his peace will protect our emotions and our thoughts from attack. We can be at peace even though our situation is very unsettling. But make sure and notice one very important but small thing at the end of verse 7. The peace of God, which comes as a result of responding righteously and biblically to the temptation to worry, is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's peace is only possible for persons who have realized that they're broken sinners and have such have cried out to God for mercy, trusting in Jesus' death on the cross as payment in full for their sins. Today, if you, if you know that you are alienated from God and you have not trusted in Jesus' sacrifice for your sins, Come talk to me or, or come talk to one of the elders or pastors here at RBC. It's so important that you get that right. You get right with God, and we love to help you be able to do that this morning. So all that remains is to talk through how do we apply this, what we've learned this morning, to our own lives. I'd like to suggest two applications that, that flow out of this text. The first of these applications, very put very simply, is to Plan and practice. Plan and practice. Bear with me as I illustrate and explain. 
Many of you know that we have a significant number of active duty and retired Marines and Army and Navy within our uh, congregation. A few years ago, out of curiosity, I asked one of them how they trained to minimize the chances of getting their heads blown off in the midst of combat. And this was this particular Marine's uh, very simple, but I thought very thoughtful, thoughtful and profound reply. He said that his fellow Marines carefully learned combat survival tactics. And then after they did that, they practiced continually over and over and over and over and over and over again, all the time until those responses in combat situations, they became automatic. They just did them. They didn't even have to think about them anymore. They instantly reacted the right way. And for us, if we're going to survive when the bullets of worry inevitably rain down on us, we must do exactly the same thing. We must plan how we're going to respond to the temptation to worry and then practice, practice, practice. And Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that's the training manual. When the temptation to worry rears its ugly head, immediately draw near to the Lord, talking to him about the situation, asking him for strengthening grace to be put on over, off every shred of worry. He promises grace to help us in our time of need. Then begin thanking the Lord for his goodness, his promises to walk with us through difficult times, his promise of peace both now and to eternity and his unshakable loving kindness for us. I'd encourage you to memorize passages uh, about the greatness of our Lord and, and, and thank him for those kind of things. And then remain in Jesus' presence at the throne of grace until his promise strengthening comes. Now the practice aspect of this application involves responding to worry this way each and every time. Practice, practice, practice. And if you're particularly prone to worry, each morning when you get up, rehearse how you will respond to the temptation to worry before the day starts so you can be ready to attack those things the right way when they hit. Now the second application that I would commend to you is to develop a lifestyle of thanksgiving. In our scripture text this morning, we're commanded to pray and make requests with thankfulness when tempted to worry. But actually what I'm talking about here is intentionally cultivating a practice of thankfulness all day long. If you still have your Bibles open to Philippians, the Philippians passage we're looking at this morning, you don't turn there. Notice what Paul says right before our text in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. And though the exact wording is different, the concept is very similar to always being thankful. If we're continually rejoicing in the Lord or continually being thankful to the Lord, in both cases, we are focused 
on the beautiful perfections of our God. Our minds are fixed on his great love, his care for us, his absolute sovereignty, and his great power towards us who believe. I've always been amazed that as I focus on the magnificence of my Lord, the problems that are tempting me to worry, they just dramatically shrink both in size and in intensity. The same difficulties, they're still there, but they sure look a whole lot smaller. And when you develop a lifestyle of thanksgiving to the Lord, you will inevitably find that you are far less tempted to lapse into sinful worry. You will remain, and I will remain, spiritually stable even during troubled times. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that because of your great love that you even use difficulties and temptations to worry, to strengthen us. Oh, Lord, may you be glorified as we put off all worry, every single bit of it, and walk in your supernatural peace, coming to you with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. We ask that you would accomplish these things, Lord, so that your name would be lifted up and that people around us would come to know you by seeing the supernatural peace that is in us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.